There has been a lot in the news about the coronavirus lately. Some people are in panic mode, buying up baked beans and toilet paper. Other people are just trying to get on with life and not think about it too much. Our son, Ben, is studying microbiology at university, so I asked him exactly what a virus was. Bad question. (laughs) Very complicated answer. But it was interesting. So what I learned is viruses can't grow by themselves. They can't actually reproduce by themselves. So they jump inside the cells in your body. They hijack you, and then as your cells reproduce, they reproduce. So when you catch a virus, they literally jump inside the cells inside your body and hijack them. They attack your body from the inside, and your body itself spreads the virus. So to fight off a virus, your immune system firstly has to recognise that this virus is not actually part of your body, that it's not supposed to be there, and then it needs to get rid of it. Thankfully, our bodies are wonderfully designed and they can fight off viruses. I reckon that's a pretty good picture of what's happening here in Colossians. Because as we move into the second half of chapter 2 this morning, we're introduced to something that is trying to kill the Colossians' trust in Jesus. But this threat, it's not something obvious like greed or selfishness or some obvious sin. This threat is something that gets into the church and kills it from the inside. This threat is like a virus. It actually attaches itself to Christianity and then it uses a wrong form of Christianity to spread itself through the church. Which is why it can be so dangerous because it can infect a church and you don't even realise there's something wrong. It can spread through the church body and start to take you away from Jesus before you even show any symptoms. Thankfully, today's passage has the cure. And you can see on your outline, it's kind of back to front, it gives us the cure first. In verse 8 to 15, we're told the cure. And then in the second half of the passage, verses 16 to 23, Paul applies that cure to three problems in the church. But this morning, I'd like to look at it the other way around. We will look at the problems first so that we end with the wonderful cure. So let's skip down halfway through the passage to verse 16 and begin with the problem. There's three Christian viruses, if you like, that Paul wants us to be aware of. You can see them on your outline there. The first one is the virus of religion in verse 16. The second one is experience in 18 and then following rules in verse 20. And these three problems, they all operate in the same way. They attach themselves to what we believe about Jesus. They inject something else in. They add to what we have. And in adding, they actually destroy the freedom and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. So let's look at them. The first one is religion. Look there at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are adding adding what we do to what Jesus has done. 
by going back and adding some Old Testament laws to Christianity. Those three religious festivals that are mentioned here, the annual religious festivals, the new moon, which was a monthly festival, and the Sabbath day, which was a weekly one, they're all part of the Old Testament worship of God. The yearly, the monthly, and the weekly festivals. And then the food laws are added into that, what you eat and what you drink. Sounds very much like Old Testament religion is finding its way into this new church in Colossae. Now, can you see how this is like a virus that would infect the church from the inside? See, in the church, Christians could start celebrating these feasts and think it's a great idea. Let's have a tabernacle harvest celebration and be thankful for what God's done. Let's have a Passover. Let's keep the Sabbath. And you might think, think, what's wrong with that? I mean, the Sabbath, isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? How could there be anything wrong with that? Well, Paul tells us why it's a problem in verse 17. Look at 17 there. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. All the Old Testament laws about food, about the feasts, about the Sabbath, they were there to point to Jesus. Paul says here they were just a shadow, a picture, so that you could see the shape, the outline of of what Jesus would do, but Jesus is the real thing. So why would you go back to the shadow when you have the reality? To go back to the shadow would actually be to distract you from Jesus. Horrible confession to make, sometimes in our family, we can be a little bit late to buy each other's birthday present. And so quite often, we actually get a photo of the present in a card. I know it's terrible. It's kind of fun, though. (laughs) So Laura, she was the latest one. She just had a birthday, and we bought her a sleeping bag, which we ordered from Kathmandu online the day before her birthday. (laughs) So Australia Post is not quite that good. So we gave her a card, and inside the card was a photo of the sleeping bag. She was excited about seeing the photo, but two days later when it arrived in the mail, she was more excited. So the photo was there to show her what was coming, the real sleeping bag. The Old Testament law was there to show us what was coming, Jesus. Can you imagine if Laura, the next time we go camping... Instead of taking the sleeping bag, she takes the photo of the sleeping bag. That would not keep her warm. That's what these people are doing. They have Jesus, but they are going back to the law, which can't save them. And they're observing the law. So that's the first virus that could infect the Christian church, going back to Old Testament religion. The second virus is... Spiritual experiences. Look at verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great details about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Now you can see how this would, could make its way into a church because Worship, the word there, that sounds like something good, doesn't it? And it is. But the worship of angels, what's going on there? We're not even really sure what that means. Does it mean that they are actually worshipping angels and bowing down to them? Or does it mean that they're worshipping in the same ways 
that angels worship. You know, like we worship like the angels worship. We've got the worship of angels. It's not clear. But whichever one it is, they're so excited about this fantastic spiritual worship of angels, they're going into great details about their spiritual experience. They've even got visions and things in it. They're ending up more excited about the experience than they are about Jesus. They're taking the spotlight away from Jesus. Verse 19, they have lost connection with the head. That's Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. See, just because you, have, you see visions or you have an experience that you call worship, which is even could be the worship of angels, that experience does not make you closer to God. In fact, here, it can do the opposite. It can distract you away from Jesus. It's a similar problem to the first one. It's moving away from what Christ has done, moving towards what we do. It's like a virus injecting itself into the church and then spreading. Well, that's the first two. The third thing that sounds like it might be good at face value, but it ends taking people away from Jesus, it's rule-keeping. And again, it's about what we do, isn't it? Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belonged to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Churches can be pretty good at making up rules that are not in the Bible and adding them, like, I don't know, no drinking, no smoking, no tattoos, no heavy metal music, no Harry Potter, no goth or dressing up like zombies, and so on. But are you any more Christian if you don't drink? No. Are you any more Christian if you don't smoke? No. Are you less saved if you have a tattoo? No. In fact, Paul says rules like this might look like on the outside they're turning you into a better person, but in reality, they do not help you one bit live a more godly life. Now, in the Colossians day, they're probably not talking about heavy metal music and dancing. They were talking about rules where Christians were being harsh on their bodies in order to try and be more pure. Look at what Paul says about that, verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, so they look good on the outside, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, if you're using rules... To, to stop things like your sexual desire or your overeating or whatever part of your body that it is that you're finding it hard to control, it won't work. External rules can't change us. What will work? How can we change on the inside? We're looking at that next week when we get to Colossians chapter 3, so make sure you come back for that. It's a great chapter. But rules don't work. Because they're all about what we do, not what Jesus has done. 
So Paul's wanting these new Christians not to get fooled, not to get taken away from Jesus, not to listen to people who are saying, you've got Jesus, but you need to add this. And we're going to look at the cure, but before we move on to the cure, I think it's worth asking ourselves, do we have these kinds of extra things here at DPC, in our church? So religion, going back to the Old Testament, do we have that here? I don't feel like we do, do we? Some people like to have Sunday off, and that's okay. You can have Sunday off as long as you don't force it on other people and judge people if they don't. So I don't feel like that's a huge problem here. I've heard people from time to time say things like, you know, it might be nice to have communion more often, or it might be nice to bring the offering up the front and do it in a certain way that was like in the church I grew up in. And that's fine. The the Bible doesn't tell us how to have communion. The Bible doesn't tell us how to take up the offering. We just might need to be careful that we don't become particularly attached to a particular style of communion, for example, or the wording that we grew up with or the frequency that we grew up with so that we're chasing those feelings that come from that experience rather than letting communion point us to knowing Jesus better. Now, you could say the same kind of things for any tradition that we come attached to when we grow up. But, but I, don't think, I don't think we have that problem here. I'm try, trying to pretty hard to find anything here that's a bit of a tradition that's distracting us from Jesus as a church. And if that's the case, that is great. Let's stay focused on Jesus. What about experience? Again, I don't think that's a, a biggie here. I don't think we go around bragging about how great our own personal worship is. But we're not immune to this, are we? Sometimes we do have a really great experience at church. Maybe it's a, a song that moves us emotionally. That's great. Good experience to have. But don't go then chasing that experience. Don't replace wanting to know Jesus better with wanting to have a repeat of that experience that felt good. The experience that matters is knowing Jesus, trusting his death. What about rules? That's the third virus. Again, I'm not sure that we're caught up in rules either. We don't want to put rules on people after they come to Jesus. What you eat, what you wear, where you send your kids to school, who you vote for or don't vote for, whether you have tattoos. Those things don't make you more godly, and I think we get that. I think we're fairly healthy as a church in those areas. The trouble can be that sticking to the basics, just having Jesus, it can sound a bit unexciting. When someone else comes along and offers something extra, it can be hard to resist. We're not perfect as a church. And actually, I I wonder if that's partly the answer. Realising we're broken, realising we're not perfect, church is not perfect, and so we keep having to rely on Jesus' death all the time. Because that's what Paul's getting to here. That is actually the answer to all these viruses. The key to staying healthy as a Christian and as a church is to stay centred on Jesus 
and him alone. Let's come back, have a look with me back at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul gives the cure. Colossians 2, 8, right up at the start there. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. See, these three perversions of Christianity, religion, experience and rules, they all have something in common, actually. This passage calls them philosophies or ways of thinking. They're all based on human tradition. They're all about what we do, religion that we observe, experience that we create, rules that we obey. It's very similar to what we saw last week. In Christ, we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So to add anything to Jesus, whether it's religion or experience or rules or anything, that is saying Jesus is not enough. So it's no surprise that the antidote is to understand more fully what we already have in Christ and to see that he is enough. Look at verse 9. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity, that's God, lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. We've already seen this. Jesus is God in the flesh. It doesn't get any bigger than that. He is supreme over everything, this creation and the next. And yet in the next Breath, it does get bigger than that because we have been given fullness in Christ. We have Christ in us. We are in Christ. So externals like circumcision or whatever other rules you want to follow, who cares? They're just signs. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. This could be another thing that the Colossians might have been falling for, Old Testament Jewish law circumcision. Paul's saying when you put your trust in Jesus, there is not any other external thing that you need to do. Circumcision is just an example. And Paul's saying here, in Jesus... You have been spiritually circumcised, so to speak. Your sinful nature, your old self, has been cut off. That happened when Jesus died on the cross. And if you are died with him and you were raised with him, you're forgiven fully. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us. All our sins. Now, forgiveness is a simple thing to understand, the idea that you can be forgiven, but it is a hard thing to actually realise and know that we are forgiven by God. And so Paul gives us an illustration of how this works. He talks about our bill being cancelled. When Jesus died on the cross, it was like a bill of what we owed to God, a written paper bill, and it was taken away. Verse 14. Having cancelled the written code, 
with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Sometimes when you go to a coffee shop, uh, rather than paying up front when you order stuff, you can put your order on a tab and they keep track of it on a piece of paper or on the computer. You know, so you order yourself some lunch and it goes onto the bill. And then if you're a bit more hungry, you want some dessert, that goes onto the bill. And then after dessert, you can order some coffee, that goes on the tab. But then before you leave, you have to pay the bill, don't you? So you walk over to the, the counter and you give them your credit card or you pay them with cash if you still use cash. And then in some coffee shops, they get this little printed bill, and I'm not sure why they do it, someone can tell me perhaps, but they stick it on that spike. Have you seen that? It's as if when they stick the bill on the spike on that counter and they get the bill and you've paid it, it goes on the spike and it's like saying, bill paid, finished, you can go. And that's the image Paul's using here in Colossians 2. It's like there is a written bill against us for everything that we've done against God. We tell a lie, it goes on the bill. We treat God badly, it goes on the bill. We think terrible thoughts about someone that we wouldn't dare share with other people, it goes on the bill. Everything that we're ashamed of goes on that bill. And Paul says that that is the written code that is against us. He says it stands opposed to us because that bill is pointing the finger at us, saying that we're guilty, stopping us from having a relationship with God. It's got everything that we've done wrong written on it. Wayne's done this. He doesn't deserve to get to heaven. Wayne's done this. He doesn't deserve to have a relationship with God. Wayne's done this. He, doesn't, he deserves God's judgment. And then Jesus comes along and he takes that bill and he puts all our sin on himself. And when he was nailed to the cross, Colossians says our bill was nailed with him. Jesus paid it. He put it on the spike. He paid it in full. It's all gone. Nailed to the cross. And like we saw two weeks ago, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are now perfect and blameless before God. Your guilt and shame taken away and you have complete security of eternal life. Your sin paid in full. That was his victory. That's how he defeated Satan. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. And knowing that is the vaccine. That's the cure against anyone who says there's more that you need to do. There is no more. We are saved through Christ alone. We don't need anything else. To add anything else is to make Jesus less. It's to say that the cross wasn't enough. I have a friend who's a minister up in Queensland and he tells the story of the Maroochydore Surf Lifesaving Club when they built a new clubhouse. So the Maroochydore Surf Lifesaving Club, they decided to build a new clubhouse. They've got a great location right there on the beach at Maroochydore and they built the new building and it was fantastic. 
the new Maruchito Surf Life Saving Club. They put in this fantastic big restaurant with glass windows right along looking over the ocean because they've got such a lovely view. They wanted everyone to be able to eat there. And then the Maruchito Surf Life Saving Club, they put in a gym because if you want to have surf lifesavers, they need to be fit, don't they? So they had a gym in there. And they put in a bar so that after a hard day working in the sun, life-saving, you can relax with your lifesavers over a beer. The Maruchidor Surf Life-Saving Club even had room to put in 70 poker machines to help fund the club heading into the future so they'd be never short of cash. The problem is, and this made the headlines of the local newspaper, when the Life-Saving Club was opened, they had no room for the lifesavers. I kid you not, they'd forgotten. They had no room to look over the beach from. They'd forgotten about the lifesavers. They had added so many other things on, seemingly good things. They lost the one thing that mattered. Let's not do that with Jesus. We don't need to add anything on to what Jesus has done. And Colossians is inviting you to rejoice in your saviour alone. To walk with him, to stand firm in him. Knowing his victory is complete. Our sin is paid for. And don't be deceived by anyone who wants to tell you otherwise. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your son, our Lord Jesus, gave his life for us on the cross. Father, thank you that when he died, our sin, if we trust in him, what was taken away. Father, the Apostle Paul just seems to be at pains week after week reminding us about the cross. And please let that sink in that we would know that Jesus has done everything, that we would trust fully in his forgiveness, that we would never feel the need to chase after anything else. Father, we pray that we might walk in him, trust him, stand firm in him. And if any other teaching comes along trying to tell us otherwise, help us to be alert to it, not to be deceived by it, but to stick with Jesus. And we pray this, Father, for his sake, for his glory, for his church. Amen.